In the holy name of Jesus, amen. How many of you are ready for global nuclear warfare? Doesn't seem possible, but there's a lot of war going around. There's a lot of rumbling about some countries possible getting nuclear warfare themselves. So are you ready? How many are you ready for a second Great Depression? There are those who are saying that it's coming if it isn't already hidden here amongst us. Doesn't seem possible. I mean, it was Black Friday. The sales seem to be somewhat okay. People are buying new cars and other things. What's the big deal? How many of you young parents have put together your funeral plans? Have you picked out your casket yet? Have you picked out your grave site? Have you put together your last will and testament for your kids? I cannot tell you how many times I have seen people who do not prepare for a funeral and the family is all of a sudden struck with all of the inheritance and everything else lying in probate court, people being looking at the costs of everything for a funeral, and it's completely overwhelming. How many of you young kids here today, especially some of you teenagers, have set up your own retirement account? How many of you are watching the stock market and looking at your IRA before you even get a full-time job? How many of you are ready for your death? Today, tomorrow, next year. How many of you are prepared for the end of this world? Doesn't seem possible. Doesn't seem like it's really going to happen. I mean, I'm younger, Pastor. I'm healthy. Things seem to be going pretty well. I don't think I'm quite at the age of death, but we know that death has no age. And we do not know when the end of the world will be, at least we as Christians. Today our texts are all about prepar pre preparation, but this is not proper prior planning prevents poor performance. Jesus gives us the whole context of the end of the world today. The first thing that I want you to think about is that it's a happy thing. It's a party. It's not judgment and dread and gloom and black smoke and lightning bolts. It's a wedding feast. It's a party. And in Jesus' day, when you had a wedding, you would get all of these people gathered together and the wedding feast would be for days upon days. Young children were not allowed. You had to be kind of of age to come to that. And that's what you hear about with these 10 young teenagers today. There are 10 girls. They're all the same. They're of age. They can go to the wedding. Maybe some young dashing man might catch their glance. They've all been invited. They all have lamps with oil. They're all waiting. They're all asleep. Five were wise and five were utter morons. That's what it says in the Greek. Moros. They're morons. And then suddenly, without proper preparation, five of them are saying, well, the, the announcement is here. The bridegroom is here. What do we do? The morons are saying, hey, you give us some oil. We're not properly prepared. Our lamps are going out. 
But the wise answered, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go buy some oil. Go down to the convenience store and buy for yourselves. But pastor, I thought we were all supposed to be about sharing and being nice to our neighbor who is in need. These wise women give the right answer. To give you maybe a modern context of this today and preparing, this would be like you going camping. Maybe for two weeks. Maybe in the deepest, darkest forest. You need a lantern. One that runs on batteries. And if you know that you're going to be in the forest for a long time, you put batteries in the lamp. You stow away extra packs of batteries for your lamp. You might find one of those fancy rechargeable ones and you bring a couple of extra recharging bricks. Nonetheless, you plan. But then you go camping with somebody on the same trip. They have that lantern and they only have two batteries when you need three. Now, if your batteries are just three in that lantern and their lantern goes out, you wouldn't give them one of your batteries because your lamp wouldn't work. That's what's happening here today. Go to the oil vendors. We can't help you. If we give you oil, our lamps are going to go out and then we're both sunk. Didn't you get the message? Didn't you get the invitation? He might be delayed. It's dark and we're all drowsy. The bridegroom comes. The end of the world happens. The party begins. And there are those five morons knocking at the door. Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. I don't know you at all. They miss it. Lord, Lord, please make an exception. We, we weren't really thinking. We didn't plan. We were idiots for sure. That's not what they're saying here. These morons are being pushy. They're acting entitled. You give us some oil. You, Lord, open the door. Lord, Lord is an emphatic statement. Open the door. We were invited. Why can't you let us in? Who cares that we didn't plan or prepare? Who cares that we're missing your party at the very beginning? But sorry, that's not the way the kingdom of God works. This is hard to understand because you and I have to prepare for work and school tomorrow. You and I have to prepare for doctor's visits and all of these other things. But if you're not feeling well tomorrow, you call in sick. You say your kid's not coming. You make another appointment. If you oversleep, eh, who cares? Our rich Lazy, spoiled society has become so used to making all sorts of accommodations and extensions for being late or ill-prepared or just plain forgetting or getting distracted. This text here today, speaking about the end of the world, says something that I despised my father always telling me. And I use it today. The world does not revolve around you. 
You are not the center of the universe. I know that seems cruel, but it's true. Colossians puts it this way, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That would be Jesus. Everything is his, including you. You and I exist for Jesus. We revolve around him, not the other way around. You exist for Jesus, but Jesus has his eyes solely on you. You are the apple of his eye. You are the one who has paid the pri- he has paid the price for, giving up his life and for the life of the whole world by his blood being shed for you. You are now changed, given life eternal, just like Elizabeth was given today. It is kind of a fancy or interesting, uh, fascinating side note today. We often use the text that we read at the beginning about, uh, let the little children come to me. We like that passage. We've got little paintings and coloring books of all sorts of little kids coming to Jesus and sitting in his lap, and it's a nice, happy picture. Do you realize that in Jesus' day and age, only 25% of the infants made it? Or, or excuse me, died? 25% of the infants died due to disease and poor health conditions? If they made it to 12, only about 40% of them survived. If they made it to 16, only 70% of them, or 30%, would have survived. 25 survive, 40 survive, 30 survive. The older you got as a kid, the greater chances were you were going to die. These kids are ill in that text. They're diseased. They are looking for some sort of help. And their parents are not sitting there with nice flowery dresses and everything else saying, go on, go see Jesus. They're looking at this and saying, Jesus, Lord, have mercy on our children. Please help them. They're dying. And he welcomes the infants all the way up through the teenagers, even though the disciples would have nothing to do with it. Just go ahead and let your kids die. That's how we can be in life, right? We look at people caught up in sin. We look at people who are damaged in life, and we just say, let somebody else take care of them. Be warm. Have a good life. What kind of preparation is that for you and for me? You have been changed. Elizabeth came in here as a sinner, one who is destined for the grave, even though she's this precious newborn in our sight. She's the youngest amongst us. We don't deny that that fact happens. But now she is the greatest amongst us. She is the one who's been given the new birth of eternal life through the waters of holy baptism. Today, God wrote her name in his book of life and declared that you are now my child, Elizabeth. 
Come hell or high water, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And that was said of you as well. You and I are baptized. You and I are prepared for the end of the world. It's not about you doing more devotions or memorizing more Bible passages. It's not about you serving more of the church or going out on mission trips or somehow trying to extend the kingdom of God with everybody else. It is simply rejoicing and being alive in that baptismal faith that pours out from you for the benefit as well for others. Whatever you did for the least of these, my friends, so you did for me, Jesus said last week. But be prepared. Watch. Be wary. Prepare. It's hard. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the hour nor the day. You don't know when God is going to return, and you don't know what God is going to do tomorrow. And we sure know, I hope we know, that He is no genie. He is not a God who answers your every beck and call. Don't push what He gives to you to prepare off. Don't be a moron. That's what Jesus is saying today. Okay, well, how do we prepare, Jesus, Lord? How do we prepare, Jesus, for your return? Second Timothy says it. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise. There's that word for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, completely equipped for every good work. Jesus has already prepared you in your baptism, but Jesus also wants us daily to be in His Word, that doesn't mean you have to spend 48 minutes tomorrow in the scriptures. But it also doesn't mean that you need to ignore the opportunities for you here at the church. We have plenty of opportunities. I'm hoping that maybe we can have even some more. Wednesdays at 10.30, we have a women's Bible class. 12 noon, we have a 20-minute brief Eucharist service for you. Wednesday evenings, we have a free meal. At 5.30, there's always a bowl of mac and cheese. And from 6 to 7, as our kids go down to sing, we study the upcoming scriptures for the coming Sunday. Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, Bible class with the adults. There was apple fritters today. Lively discussion about what our Lord has to teach and give to us. Here in the divine service, heaven meets you here on earth. Jesus comes with his kingdom to forgive, strengthen you with all of these things. Private pastor care, confession, absolution behind a closed door for nobody to know about. Prayer requests for your family and God and Christ Jesus to pray for you. 
You know the story of salvation. You know your place is in it so that you are prepared to receive it all and delight in you day in and day out. To ignore these things is to not bring enough oil, to not bring enough batteries. The Holy Spirit knew what He was doing when He baptized you and called you by name, and He has prepared all of this here for you today. But it's for you to receive, not to accomplish. It's for you to receive, not to accomplish. It's for you to receive, not to accomplish. Because the Bible says that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. By grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that no one may boast. This is where the Word of God is. You have the Bible at your home. You even probably have it on your phone. The Holy Spirit makes you wise by His Word unto salvation, and He works faith in you. And in all of this, it's not simply about, hey God, I'm ready, bring it on. You go out as little Christs, as Luther would say, and you give that light and that salt and that mercy and that love to your neighbors who are in need. Do you know the greatest thing that happens to bring people into the church? It's not a personal visit by the pastor. It's not programs. It's not anything like a coffee shop or cars and coffee on a Saturday morning. Overwhelmingly, over, I think it's 70% of people who have come into churches were simply invited by a friend. Come to church. Sit down with me. Hear and receive the kingdom of God like us. How can anything good come out of Grace Lutheran Church? Come and see, because here in our midst is Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. There is no other name by which we are saved. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and He alone today is preparing you and me for the party. Be prepared, for the end is coming. Sounds a bit scary, but keep in mind it's a party. And who doesn't love a party. The world says you're nuts. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Rejoice! Look forward to this day. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You are in His book. You are His beloved children. You are prepared because Christ, the light of the world, is shining on you, the light that the darkness cannot overcome. And in you, by the Spirit, we respond by faith. Lord Jesus, come quickly, come quickly. And let the party begin. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.